0: Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Cook, and this week's episode is special. And let me tell you why. This week, I am honored and thrilled to have on the podcast Martha Beck. If you're not familiar with Martha Beck, she's an author and a life coach, and I'll tell you more about her just before we get into the interview. But Martha Beck's work has had a huge impact on my life, and especially at a very pivotal moment. Back in 2010 or maybe early 2011, I was working in computer software and I hated my job. I just moved to the UK to follow my boyfriend who eventually became my husband the year before. And I was really miserable. I had uh, just an awful boss. I was stuck in this office. It just felt like a huge step backwards um, in my professional life. Although I had been bold enough to follow my love of learning about herbal medicine, and I'd started a natural beauty blog that nobody could pronounce. That was called Vintage Savoir Fair, which I thought was a beautiful name, but no one could say it. And it was actually getting a decent sized audience but I wasn't making any money. I was spending tons of time on it. I was working all the time at this job I hated, and I really felt really stuck. I felt like, what has gone wrong with my life? You know, I should have everything I wanted. I moved to Europe. I've got this job that sounds really prestigious, and I'm absolutely miserable, and what's happened to me? And so I have no idea this is how I came across it, but at some point in early 2011, I came across Martha Beck's book, finding your own North Star, claiming the life you were meant to live. And it's like, I was just magnetized to this book. I devoured it. And that book led me through the process that got me to finally tune in again to my body, which I had ignored for so many years. And to really trust that inner voice, that intuition, rather than trying to suppress it, which I trained myself to do, to try to fit in and be more normal. She really taught me to You know, use this process to listen to that voice, to amplify it and to follow it, which was absolutely terrifying. This is a story I want to share with you more in the future. I'll go into this more in detail. But basically, I'd been a really creative, crazy child, not crazy in a bad way, crazy in like an eccentrically creative way. And I learned through horrible experiences in school that that wasn't cool and that you needed to behave in a certain way. And so I just basically squashed myself into becoming perfect. And I was pretty good at it, actually. So I was kind of perfect, went to a really good university, got really good jobs, and da da da. And then eventually, just before age 30, had like this total freak out and realized, wow, what is this life? It's not me. And it was Martha Beck's work that really brought me back to being in tune with myself. So, from going through that process in that book, it actually sparked me to have one of the most powerful dreams of my entire life where it's like I was confronted by this council of elder women and they basically told me I needed to go become a counselor which actually I think has turned out to be a coach but I didn't even know that concept at the time so they were like you need to become a counselor and I woke up from that dream really shaken and disturbed and thought I've never had a dream like this and I started looking into counseling which didn't feel right at all I thought I'm not a counselor." But I came across health coaching and it was like this huge light bulb went on and I was like, oh, that's what I meant to do with my life. And it's from that that I actually enrolled um, in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And that was, you know, the first big step that got me to thinking I could really have my own business. This is how I can change my life. And it was just really remarkable. So fast forward to today in 2018, you know, anyway, fully have been self-employed for Since 2013 now, so five years, I've lived in Hong Kong. I live in, you know, I live here in London. It's just been a dramatic change. And I was talking to my assistant as we were planning this season, thinking about, well, who would we really like to have on the podcast? And as I was chatting with her, I looked over at the bookshelf and I just started pulling off some books. And one of the books I pulled down was Finding Your Own North Star. And I said, let's just contact Martha Beck. Like she would be so awesome to have on the podcast thinking it would never happen because she was just such such an important book for me. And we reached out and she agreed and I almost fell over. So that was fantastic. So it happened. So we got to have this amazing interview, which I think you're going to find really deep and thought provoking. Um, If you're familiar with Martha's work, um, this is going to deliver. You're just going to love it. I loved being able to connect with her in person and thank her for the impact that she'd had on my life. So not only do you get an incredible interview, but I hope that story will inspire you, of course, to check out Martha's work, but also to just take a leap of faith and, you know, reach out to people. You never know who's going to say yes. The worst thing that can happen was that they'll say no. Most of the time you don't even hear back, but it will never happen if you don't ask. So we found that time and time again with the podcast that actually when we just take a leap and ask. Um, you get some really incredible guests that are willing to come and share their time and expertise and wisdom with your audience. So um, take those risks. It's always it's always worth it. Now, don't forget also that we're currently in the middle of planning an incredible year for your wellness business. We're doing 2019 planning. And every Tuesday in our Facebook community, the Wellprinter Community Group, until December 18th, we're doing a special Facebook Live planning topic So, this week, which is December 4th of 2018, when this episode's airing, we're talking about the organic growth system, which is how you can plan to get more people to your website and then turn them into paying clients. So, we're going to be talking through that whole process and how you can set it up in your business throughout the next year. This theme of planning goes hand in hand with the new release, the new book I've just released, which is The Wellprinter Planner. It's available worldwide on Amazon. And it's a companion guide to my original book, Wellpreneur. So it's the time of year to be thinking about what's coming next and what amazing things you want to create in your own life and business. And I'd love it if you'd have the Wellpreneur Planner be part of that. Now, if you do get a Wellpreneur Planner, I'd super appreciate it if you'd hop over to Amazon and leave me a review because that helps more people who don't listen to the podcast and aren't part of our community. It helps them to discover the planner too. So thank you so much for being part of this community and supporting my work. And I don't want to spend any more time. I just want to get straight into Martha's interview um, because that's a good one. So definitely let's pop over to the Facebook group after this and chat about all the wisdom bombs that we heard during this episode because it's just so good. Okay, here's my interview with Martha Beck. Hi, Martha. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a thrill to be here.
0: (laughs) It's really cool because, well, I'm in London and you just moved house. So you're going through all this change in your life and it's really really great that you still could make time to talk to us today.
1: Oh, thank you. My
0: pleasure. I know a lot of the Wellpreneur podcast listeners know who you are. I think a lot of them have read your book, but how would you describe what you do?
1: I try very hard to figure out how to be human. And then because I've had to figure it out very carefully, I often write it down. And then people say, that sounds like a good idea. And I am shocked. But that is, it just keeps happening.
0: <laughs> so you actually started with a science background, right? You have a—you studied Chinese and then you have a PhD in sociology. And you kind of ended up being, I guess, what people call a life coach. Yeah, It happened in a bit of a, it's almost like you were a reluctant life coach, it seems to me. Yes. Tales of
1: a reluctant life coach. Yeah. I just, uh, I was in academia and I was teaching business and some of my students wanted me to talk to them about how, about my philosophy of life, which would like creep in. I was a working mom at the time and I had three little kids and I was trying to become a writer. And as I said, I didn't really feel like I knew how to be human. So I was always trying to figure it out. And it seemed very obvious to me that if something makes you happy, it's probably something you should keep doing. And if something makes you really miserable, maybe you should stop doing it as much. And this this philosophy of life until eventually became the springboard to, to fame, and not, uh, whatever little fame and wealth I have accumulated. It, it just seemed to me to be incredibly obvious, but people wanted to hear it. Even the people who, the highly academic and intellectual people that I'd been among most of my life wanted to hear it. So I, they ended up wanting me to coach them. And I didn't know the name of what I was doing until I was doing it for quite a lot of money. And then I heard it called life coaching. So yeah, it's it's just it's kind of a testament to do what you love and the money will follow.
0: It's so funny because that sounds like it sounds so easy. So I've read a couple of your books, like Finding Your North Star and Steering by Starlight and um Diana uh-huh. herself will talk about some of those. But I mean it's kind of obvious, right? Like if it feels good and it feels expansive, you should do it. But we never learned this stuff. Like it was revolutionary no. when I read it. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> that's what um, you know, I'm writing this book called The Integrity Climbs because I just realized we all put cultural norms over our own very, very clear preferences. It's amazing how you can really, really feel that something's good for you and not, it will not even occur to you to do more of it because everybody's just tuned into culture rather than nature and that didn't work for me as a child didn't work for me as an adult doesn't work for me now but it works for most people most of the time and for that reason we don't develop even the capacity really to know what's truly our desire as soon as you know what is your own true desire it starts to bear fruit it's incredible how quickly it happens if you can shed your cultural beliefs but that is no small feat
0: Mm -hmm. well it's like we've It's like you get conditioned to ignore all those signs that your body is sending, and just be like, "Oh, your body, the machine, just keep going, keep going, keep going, and ignore." Yeah, yeah.
1: It really is based on. I mean, it it was based on other things in other times, but right now it's based on the industrial revolution and the ideal of of humans working like a factory. And it can humans can work like a factory. I mean, Henry Ford really showed that, but. The turnover rate at Henry Ford's factories was 90% per month. Like nine out of 10 people quit that every month because we are animals. We're not meant to run like machines. And this is so counterintuitive to most people in the age of technology that it's mind blowing when you say, Well, why don't you take care of your animal? <laughs> you know? Because we have a culture that is not, uh, that doesn't invite that, doesn't foster it, doesn't nurture it. And if you, Start taking care of your animal, you're going to become countercultural very quickly. And that is really, really scary for almost everyone.
0: Yeah. It feels completely rebellious to say, oh, I'm going to take care of myself and follow. Like just, I'm going to follow what I really want to do. Like what my gut's telling me to do. People think that's crazy. Like it sounds, yeah. it's just rebellious.
1: Yeah. And there's a whole, you know, take care of yourself sort of ethos out in the like new age in the wellness community. But People, it, it gets boiled down to another set of cultural cliches, like take a lot of bubble baths. and Exactly, yeah. What it really is, I mean, we saw this, I don't want to get political, but we all watched last week in the U.S., Dr. Blasey Ford get up and talk about sexual abuse that she recalls being inflicted by new, newly appointed Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And... All she did was get up and talk about what happened to her. uh, I don't know. These may be treacherous waters. Even I'm running afoul of, of, okay, here's what I want to say, but I immediately start thinking, what are the listeners to the podcast going to think politically? Is this going to make them upset? So I start to to hesitate and not tell, not actually express the thoughts that were in my mind and my heart because of that concern that it's going to be culturally inappropriate. You can either cut this or leave it in as an object lesson. <laughs> but yeah, just to get up and say what you remember happening to you once is considered a, an act of, you know, it's enough to get death threats. And I've had them too. So I know how bad it can get. So we're not talking about a trivial thing when we say it's not about bubble baths. Those are great too. I'm all for the bubble baths. But to actually live true to your. Uh, to your sense of justice, to your sense of honor, to your sense, to what you remember as your own experience. Just to live in accordance with that is enough to get death threats sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I wrote, I'm writing this book called The Integrity Clans, where it's just like, feel what you feel, know what you know, say what you mean, and do what you truly want. And that is just shocking to people. Mm-hmm. But the alternative, what's the alternative? Don't feel what you feel. Don't know what you know. That's insanity. Mm-hmm. Don't say what you mean. That leads to madness too. And then don't do what you want. Is doing what you want is like the 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 numero uno sin to do what you want. Everybody thinks, wow, we'd just be murdering each other in our beds if we did what we want. But what we all want, I've I've asked people from heroin addicts on the street, beggars in Africa, billionaires. I've asked people over and over, what do you actually want? And what every single person wants is peace, joy, comfort, connection. If
0: we really do what we
1: really want, we don't become worse. We become better.
0: Mm-hmm. I was reading, um, I think it was as I was going back to finding your own North Star about this and you were talking about, you have some great exercise and it's like, to help you overcome scarcity mindset. So you're like, pick one thing and just get unlimited quantities of that thing. Like you gave the example, oh, yeah. you did like a box, like boxes of chocolates and you went out and bought 10. So you could have as many chocolates whenever you want. And so oh, yeah, with pencils or something. And I thought that, I mean, that it kind of ties into what you're talking about is that you assume, oh, well, if everyone just did what they want, you know, everyone's going to go be hedonistic and be going crazy all the time. But actually, once you know you can do what you want, most people would make different choices and they'd make choices that help others and contribute to positivity and peace and love and those things. Well, actually, the hedonists were a very, very moral philosophy. It's funny that
1: people, people confuse that with just there. there is another group called the Sybarites who live just for pure animal pleasure. But the hedonists were very much along my own philosophical lines because they really believed that there was an innate integrity at the heart of most humans and that doing what made you happy included things like living in truth, being kind, doing things that foster love and companionship. And yet it, it, it gets a bad rap because a lot of us are so pent up. In are trying to be good according to cultural rules that we want to run wild in a way that is destructive. Or, you know, I've, I've had so many clients, especially men, men are really in a tough spot these days because they're much more culturally pressured than women, which is what my second novel is about. But they always will say to me, I just, if I did what I wanted, I would just go lie on the beach. And I always say, okay, so if you went and lay on the beach for, say... 6 weeks what might you want to do then and they're like nothing so i just want to lie on the beach but actually nobody wants to just lie on a beach day after day until they die <laughs> you know we we want to create things we want the the human heart the human mind the human spirit set free is incredibly creative and will do the most astonishing things you know people who built the first airplane were just doing what they wanted people who you know, who wrote the great novels of history? They were just doing what they wanted. You know, we we won't just sit around um, guzzling beer and putting on sunscreen if we do what we want. If we get past the point of being so tired and jaded from social cooperativeness, and we then the fundamental impulse of a human doing what he or she wants is creation, the creation of things
0: that are powerful and good. And you just have to give it that bit of time. So I remember, so I'll just tell you kind of how I came across your work and because I want to, I want to start to dig in to some of these tools that you talk about. And anyway, I was so excited as I was preparing for this interview, I was reading a bit about your integrity cleanse work. And I was like, I could pretty much ask anything because like, you're all about just saying it, like saying it how it is. So I was like, if she doesn't want to answer a question, she'll just tell me. (laughs) Yeah, well, more likely, I'll just tell you the answer to your question. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, so I was in this corporate job and really desperate to get out and totally lost touch with myself. And I read Finding Your Own North Star. And in that, you have this great concept, simple but so powerful, of like the essential self and the social self. And the essential self, well, well, anyway, the essential self is like you, who you truly are. And the social self is you based on your culture and like what you're expected to do, right? Exactly, and so I, as I started tuning into this and realizing what I really wanted to do, I started thinking, "Oh my gosh, like is everybody else that I work with just being fake all the time? Like is everybody as miserable as I am, and they're just pretending they're not? <laughs> and I actually don't know the answer to that now because people would seem pretty excited about work, whereas I never I wasn't, but anyway, uh-huh. so what I'm curious about how people can start to tune into that internal compass themselves. Does that tie into this integrity, like the integrity cleanse that you're talking about? Is it all tied together?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The first thing is people don't actually know what they want, but they don't feel what they feel and they don't know what they know. There's a psychologist, psychiatrist actually named Alice Miller, who wrote about this a number of years ago that the, the first rule of society is don't know what you want. So not only are people not doing what they want, they don't actually have access to it. So in my case, what happened was that my body broke down pretty dramatically, starting in my late teens. And it took 12 years of chronic pain before I started to notice I was keeping a journal where I would, I would, because nobody understood where this mysterious pain came from or where it was going. And it, but it was excruciating, I, I can assure you. And I would keep, A journal that said my level of pain, and then just briefly what I'd done that day. And I started to see that when I was doing certain things, my pain was much less. And then I noticed that also my sort of ongoing anxiety and depression were also less when I was doing those things. And it became really, really obvious to me over time that my body was trying to send me a message about what my life was meant to be. And that if I Tuned into that first of all, so that's the first thing I'd say if people don't know what they want, they don't know what their life is about. Pay attention to very slight changes in your energy level and your physical sensations. They're very sophisticated barometers of what you're meant to do with your life, and this goes against the of course our cultural idea that the body is just a as Ken Robinson says, just a mechanism that takes our heads to meetings. <laughs> But when people do that, they start to to track what really makes them happy. And then typically the people, there may have been people in your office who really, really were meant for that job. What amazes me is that people love doing things I hate. And I always think everyone, for example, I've been putting together a lot of furniture because we just moved. And it seems to me that if everybody did what they wanted, we would just all assemble furniture all day long. It just seems the thing to do. But everyone else in my family, what? That is so my happy place, and I, I, and it's just in, it's inconceivable inconceivable to me that there are people who don't enjoy assembling like IKEA furniture, <laughs> and then someone else in my family loves to cook, and I just watch with astonishment. I cannot imagine someone enjoying that. And then somebody else in the family actually likes doing things like setting up insurance systems. And it's just, it blows my mind that people love so many things. And I just sort of take it as an article of faith that there's somebody for every job. And if we all did what we wanted, society would find its way. It might look really different though. And I think that might be a good thing.
0: So I'm curious, like how have you used, when you look at your own business and how that's evolved, How much of it, I hesitate even to ask this, but like how much of it was planned versus how much of it was like, oh, I just like doing this and then seeing what shows up?
1: Oh, virtually none of it was planned. The only part that was planned was writing. I really wanted to, I'd always been a bookworm. I love books. So I was going to write books that people would read for fun that might make them feel a little better. That was planned. And I worked really hard at that. And eventually it did bear fruit, but that is not where the majority of my, life's work has been or where I've made most of my money as I said it was just that people I'd stumble across people and I'd say well I figured out that if I do what makes me happy I uh seem to things seem to work better and they'd be like what oh my god go back I can't grasp this so then people started it it was weird because I never thought of this as a way to make money and then other people around me started sort of People who'd read my work said, why don't you do a seminar? And I was like, what's a seminar? So they said, don't worry, we'll set it up for you. And so for years I did that, and I didn't make much money from it because they were organizing it, and I didn't know how that worked. And then somebody sat me down and said, you know, if you did this yourself, you could do it with a an online template to create a website and four products that you could deliver over the Internet. And um, she she sketched it out on a napkin. And I looked at it, and I thought, I think that would work, and bought a template for $150 the next day. That was the sole expense of my business when I started it. We went into the black the first day we put the template up for people and have been in the black ever since. So, and and I just recently, in the last three or four years, decided I have to figure out how business works and, like, get my hands in the clay. But I was really fortunate that but I don't think it's fortunate. I think if you're that passionate about something, I mean, my, my poor clients, the first seminars that I did, if, if we couldn't crack through somebody's reserve, I would stay there till midnight. I would stay all night working with someone because it's just like assembling furniture. Who would want to do anything else? You know? And I think that's what brought the, the money in the end was that I was that intensely passionate about what I was doing. Mm.
0: So it's interesting because it is, you know, it is, there's a component of hard work, but I bet it doesn't feel like to you, that doesn't feel like hard work. Right. And I think that's probably the secret.
1: Yeah. There's an almost compulsive quality to it sometimes. Uh, And it, that there's a difference between hard work and stress doing something that I don't love with any kind of consistency at all drains my energy and makes me absolutely incapable of working hard. I can't. But when it's something that I love, I can't stop. You know, it's difficult to make myself stop. And I think that most people are like that. Animals are like that. You know, A bloodhound will follow a scent until it dies of exhaustion. And I don't want us to do that. I've spent a lot of my later career trying to convince myself to take a break and rest sometimes. But I think we all have these passions and they're just buried under cultural conditioning. And when we let them out and we start to indulge them, what we create may look like hard work. But who? I, I people used to tell me, I, I wish you must have a lot of expenses to have to work so hard. And I just look at them and think, I would do this if I were the Queen of England. You know, this is, like, I, this is not exactly work, but I will work hard at it. So it's a different definition of work, right? Because it has everything to do with your own free choice.
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I guess you use sometimes, but don't really like the word magic and having things happen, we'll say like in the flow or with joy and people will say magic or miracles or something. And I I just want to explore that a little bit because sometimes, you know, in business, you hear people say, oh, well, you just have to work really hard and you have to be really dedicated. But it seems like your approach is so much like aligning with, the flow for you, your interests, yeah. and then showing up, just continuing to show up for it.
1: Yeah, and continuing to show up for myself, you know, for, for my own joy. I'm not showing up for the work itself. I'm showing up for me. It's, it's profoundly self-centered, but in a way that makes me want to love other people. So I, I can't think that that's too morally appropriate. But yeah, what happens is, Like I'm writing this book, The Integrity Cleanse, and it has four phases and sort of broken it down to make it digestible. And the fourth stage is based on Dante's Inferno. I'm sort of bouncing off Dante's Inferno. And you go through the Inferno, which is where you don't know what is going on with your life. Then you go through Purgatory, which is where you understand that you have to get through these patterns that are keeping you from your joy And then you get to the place that Dante calls paradise, which is where you're doing what you really want. And when Dante gets there in the Divine Comedy, he says, just stop reading right now because there's no way to describe this and you wouldn't believe it if I, you know, if I could describe it. And I kind of feel the same way. Once you get to the place where you've gotten past your negative patterns of various kinds, and you're really aligning with your integrity and living the life, living life the way you're meant to. things happen that defy our usual our usual definition of how things work they it seems magical it seems miraculous i don't like those words because people then think that it's a kind of conjuring that you know if i think hard enough about having a million dollars it'll drop into my lap that's it's just-
0: like law of attraction stuff yeah
1: Yeah. But you see, here's the thing, Amanda, I believe I've experienced that stuff. It just doesn't work the way most people believe that it will. Because if you really, really look at the people who teach that law of attraction stuff, some of them are saying this is about integrity and following the joy of the deepest spirit. And other people are saying, if you think hard enough about a million dollars, you'll get a million dollars. And it, it's very close. The two, the vocabulary is almost the same. The way phenomena are described is almost the same. And what's missing is this element of absolute fidelity to what you want inside rather than borrowing the the values of your culture and saying, what I really want is a great big speedboat, you know, or something, whatever the culture says. I used to think I wanted, I remember walking past the big houses of the, professors at Harvard and I'd been at Harvard since I was 17 and I sort of spent my adult life there. And I would think, well, obviously what I want to be is a Harvard professor in one of these houses. I really thought I believed that because that's what I knew. And I couldn't make that happen. Instead, what happened was that I had a child with Down syndrome and sort of ran from the whole Harvard thing, thinking that I, you know, in shame and and degradation, but, but also thinking, what will make my son's life worthwhile? What is what is the truth about this? And, really, and I realized I hadn't known what my heart and soul wanted. And so by focusing on those, I had created nothing but hard work. But as I started freeing myself to want whatever came into my soul, then all these miracles happened. As if, this is how I explain it, I really think that consciousness is a pervasive force in the universe. I don't believe that it springs from human intellect. I think it is an a priori reality of the universe. And a lot of scientists agree with me, by the way, good scientists. And because everything is conscious and everything wants to be happy, when you are in touch with your gen- the part of consciousness that is you, and you put a genuine desire into a state of imagination and articulation the consciousness that is the rest of the universe including all humans begins to respond to you as if it's part of your own body because in a sense it is and all the enlightened masters of all these different cultures in history have tried to describe that because it does work that way it absolutely does but it doesn't work that way until you reach the the core of your own consciousness that is connected to everything else and yeah you bet you're gonna see magic and miracles but they'll make perfect sense
0: and that's like the i mean that's your essential self you know i've been really interested recently in um and this might be totally out of like weird for you but um i've been really interested in the idea of like ancestors and how much of our passions and what who we are actually might come down that line you know like from all the grandmothers or something oh absolutely yeah and so do you think that i mean is that that's part of what that essential self is or that that yeah is, is that just, yes, it's not right it's coming i don't know what do you think about that oh
1: yeah it's and it's not just genetic although there are such fascinating things happen i mean and speaking of magic you know the the twins raised apart studies i, I cited one in an article a few like a year ago um, these two twins separated at birth, identical twins. They were both named the same thing by their families that they ended up with. They both had dogs named Toy. They both married women named Betty and then divorced them and married women named Nancy. I, I don't remember the exact names. They both had one son named the son, their sons the same name. They both broke their legs on the same day. I mean, it's just, it goes, And and that's not the only case history where it shows bizarre coincidences. So there is... There's something to genetics that that goes even deeper than I can imagine. That that is way too much to explain by random coincidence. And then there's the phenomenon called epigenetics. I don't know.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, okay, so they take mice that have never seen cherry blossoms. They expose them to cherry blossoms. Everything is fine and dandy. Then they give the mice an electric shock. Then they take all the cherry blossoms away. They breed the mice. The mice have babies the babies see a cherry blossom and go crazy with fear. So there's an epigenetic, heritable fear of cherry blossoms that comes from experience. So we're not only our ancestors' descendants genetically, we are our ancestors' descendants experientially.
0: Mm -hmm. I know. This is like, I'm so fascinated by epigenetics. And like even thinking about when you look into yourself and trying to get in tune with what you really want and you start to come up against all these limiting beliefs, and you think, well, actually, I come from lots of immigrants that were poor farmers and they, you know, yeah. had famines and all these really hard times. And is some of that those fears, maybe that's where the scarcity comes from. That's where some of, you know, maybe it explains some of these challenges that then I can overcome and release to hopefully help yeah. those that come after. But
1: yeah, sure. And then and then they get you get massive numbers of people all inheriting these fear-based ways of living, and you create a whole community, a vast global community based on fear of scarcity, and it's very difficult to break those psychological bonds. Very difficult. It's funny, I always remember something my mother told me that over and over, and I really tried to internalize it, because I was a, a really, as even as a child, I strongly resisted what I did not enjoy. So I would say, I don't want to do that. And what she'd say over and over is, we all have to do things we don't want to do. Life is about doing things you don't want to do. That is life. And I actually think, I know she believed that and and passed that along in all kinds of ways. But I feel like we have to break those spells that were cast on our parents for everyone's sake. You know, my whole life then became about discovering that sometimes you can do what you want. (laughs) And it actually, it's kind of great. And you can make a living that way. And it's like, it was like the, the key to the city, but in reverse code. Mm -hmm. But we all have that. We all have starving ancestors back there somewhere.
0: Well, I think for them, like, I mean, especially in the case of women, female ancestors, they didn't have a lot of choice you know, that we right. have today. And so probably yeah. those beliefs serve them in their yeah. circumstances. But now, like, we don't need to be in that position. And I think, yeah, you know, we can. Isn't that interesting? This. Yeah.
1: It's so interesting. I think we're really poised on the brink of something um, unprecedented for a couple of reasons. One is that we've now filled the earth to the point where we're going to get in, well, we're already in some pretty serious trouble climate-wise if we don't change our ways. And we have to change them very, very rapidly to make any, According to the scientists in to to keep things from getting really catastrophic, but also, I think that we have the mechanisms for overcoming scarcity that our ancestors for a hundred thousand years never experienced we women, as you say, were very much mistreated and downtrodden in pretty much every culture that that we've inherited, but that was based a lot on physical Force and the ability to cause harm. And now that's not what runs society. It really is technology that's as easy for a woman to use as it is for a man. So the whole basis of power in the entire global society is changing radically from physical force to the ability to use tools. <laughs> and it's going to make a huge change in every type of class imbalance. So, yes, genetic, uh, in, in terms of gender. But also in terms of class and race and wherever you are in the world, there's, there's this uh, study where they took computers and implanted computers into the walls of a bank in India. and just, So you couldn't steal the computer, but you could use it. And within a year, the little children in that area had not only learned to use the computer in English, which was not their native language, but they were starting to solve. Advanced scientific problems, but, and and then they hired a bunch. The, the scientists hired a bunch of old ladies, the grandma squad, who were paid like twenty five cents a day, and all they did was sit there next to the computer and tell the children, "You're doing very well. You're doing very well." And then they gave these children a very a very complex genetic a problem that has to do with the structure of the genome. It came back a year later, and these. Six, seven, ten-year-old children were said to them, well, we're having some problems figuring out the RNA transfer. Other than that, we've pretty much solved it. <laughs> and these were poor, non-English-speaking, dark-skinned children in the slums of India. Good Lord, what's coming next? I can't even begin to imagine it.
0: That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh, Okay. that was a slight tangent, but really fascinating stuff. But what I wanted to ask you was about your writing. And so you've, you know, you're, you're quite well known for your nonfiction books, um, self-help mm-hmm. books, but then uh, a couple of years ago, you came out with a fiction book, Diana herself. Mm-hmm. How did that yep. come about? And I'm curious, did you have any of those little voices that were like, well, I can't write that kind of book. Like I write this other kind of book. How was that process? I
1: moved to the woods and a psychic told me that I I was done writing books. I was done. My daughters kept asking me why I was writing the same book over and over. The publishers kept asking me to write the same book over and over. Do what you love, follow your dreams. Okay. Said that already. (laughs) And I just wanted to move to the woods. So I did. And, Honest to God, somebody gave me a psychic. I moved on my 50th birthday and someone gave me as a birthday present a a reading with a psychic and the psychic said, you're supposed to be writing books. And I was like, no, I'm done with that. He also got some things really right. Like he immediately said, do you have a property with a monument on it or a, a shrine on it? And I said, well, yeah, there's a shrine to a dead horse on my property. And he said, well, it wants a labyrinth on it. And at that very moment I had a friend who was out building a labyrinth for me. That's what she does professionally. And I was like, hmm, interesting. So I I actually listened when he said, Write another book and he said, No, 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 no. It's not supposed to be another self help book. Write an allegory. Write an allegory of he said it has to have three parts. The the way the feminine awakens to like pure integrity, the way the masculine awakens, and the way together they can save the world. And I was like all right, <laughs> whatever. And I, I wasn't going to do it, but then I started walking around these woods and having experiences with nature that were profoundly moving to me. And I thought, nobody's going to believe this. So I'm going to write it as a fictional allegory. And I got to the first third, the part about the feminine, and I already had 350 pages. So then I thought, Oh, it's going to be three books, not, not one. But I didn't go to a publisher. I didn't have an editor, except for a couple of people who are my best beloved in my family. And I just wasn't going to let culture touch it. It was about It's about being wild. It's about a woman who returns to her wildness after having it almost crushed out of her. And it's an allegory for how the feminine has been treated all over the world throughout human history. The, the second book, Lest You Think I'm a Man Hater, is about how men have been enslaved by culture and how for them to get out, they need the, the love, support, and help of the feminine, of freed women. And it's my own bizarre little encomium to how I, how I think the world is, could possibly be saved at this point. And I remember Oprah called me when she was starting her network. And I said, you know, all I care about is the transformation of consciousness of human consciousness and saving the world because everything else is boring. And she said, well, yeah, me too. You I was like, duh. (laughs) So there are a lot of us who feel this way. And then I could disguise books as fiction and write what was truer to me than anything else in the world and publish it myself and not have to bend to culture at all. And, uh, so that's what I've been doing. It's another experiment. It, uh, yeah, instead of getting a whole bunch of money for an advance, I had to shell out a bunch of money and do something that writers are ashamed to do, which is publish it myself. And I wouldn't have changed it for anything. I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Nobody would have let me get away with writing it the way I wanted it. And, um, is it
0: more fun than writing the fiction books? I mean, nonfiction. You know
1: what, Amanda? It was so far beyond fun. I have never felt so entranced in my life. I have, it was, it was, see, this is where I stop talking because people won't believe me if I say what it did. But there were many, many times writing that book when reality, as I presently see it, dissolved and everything became. This, this creation of consciousness playing with love and light and I would be in states of absolute rapture for days and weeks at a time because I was just in the forest waiting for the next thing to happen and then playing with language and trying to convey what was happening to, to people I love it was just, it just when you really push this thing all the way to its conclusion when you really really do what you want yeah. I mean, that book did earn out. I earned back the money that I'd spent on it. I won some awards. I'm very excited about where it's going. There's some really promising, exciting things happening about the whole series now that I'm not going to talk about because they haven't happened yet. But the potential is for this book to do better than anything I've ever created. And But man, you have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to really, really, really do what you love and not let anyone stop you and then keep doing it believe 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 and it takes you places oh my god i don't know why you do this podcast but i imagine it's somewhat the same i mean tell me where i'm wrong this is your creation yeah yeah exactly yeah and don't you have those moments where like time disappears yeah well you're just totally in the flow yeah and it's and you're transported and it is exquisite it is it's Mm. it's uh, jaw-dropping, and that was just what happened to my life when I started doing what I really wanted, Mm. and then I'd pop out and go, oh, I'm so ashamed, I'm self-publishing this book, nobody likes me, you know, and it would all come crashing down around me, and then I'd go back to creating, and I was transported again, and yeah, I can't wait to start the second book in that series, because that state of being was so exquisite, yeah.
0: It kind of reminds me like in Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, about creativity, which I love. And she talks about these ideas, just sometimes there's just an idea and it's just coming through you. And it's not really you. It's like you've tapped into something and it's just coming. And that's that's what this sounds like. I mean, it just...
1: Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, speaking of that, I'd met Liz Gilbert a few times and, you know, her, of course, Eat, Pray, Love is the big miracle of publishing in the in recent years, you know, 12 million copies, I'm sure more than that by now. And I'd always admired her, loved her work and, you know, kind of harbored secret hopes that someday we'd meet. And somebody sent her a copy of that first novel and I didn't know it had been sent and I didn't, there was no email address. I, I think they said, would it hurt your feelings if we sent this to Liz Gilbert? And I was like, well, she's not going to read it. I know how these things are, and. She, so a couple of weeks ago, I was in a room with Liz Gilbert, and she said, this is the room where I was. I came back from vacation. I was putting stacks of books that had been sent to me in a bin to take them to Goodwill because I don't have time to read any of the books people give me. And I picked up a copy of Diana herself, and I put it in the discard pile, and then something pulled me back to it. And I pulled it out of the pile. And I started to read and I read it into, and then she went through hell and high water to get my email address. She connected with me and we became, I mean, one of the reasons I moved to Pennsylvania is to hang out with her more often <laughs> when she's nearby. But it, like, it, there was just a friendship that was formed so quickly and so deeply because she writes from her deepest self and i try to write that way as well and when two deep selves meet they're the same person there's so much love there there's it all everything becomes love when you start living from that place and yeah i couldn't care less about eat pray love now i just have a friend but what a miracle
0: yeah well it's it's like i don't know you said you've said in one of your interviews something about like when you are totally in line with your integrity, then very quickly a tribe starts to form around you and you lose people too. Like, you know, the people that are supposed to be in your tribe are attracted to you and other people go away because yeah. you're just like magnetic. You're just magnetizing each other.
1: Yeah. Both ways. You're repellent to those who who don't. are <laughs> on your on your wavelength. And that is very frightening to people, including me. You know, I, I still, I'm a huge people pleaser. It terrifies me that people are angry, angry with me. And, and yet I, I heard um, just a couple of weeks ago, again, how um, someone who was raised Mormon was told in church not to even Google my name. Such was the evil that would follow. <laughs> you know, It, it just, I'm not going to say it's easy. In fact, my first uh, path at the book on the integrity cleanse, my agent read it and said, It's just really scary. Could you make it a little less scary? Because it really, the fact that you, you will lose people who are on your wavelength looms largest in most of our minds. But then, if you're willing to dare that, then you find the relationships that form and you're right. They happen instantaneously. They happen magnetically. They come from all points of the compass. You can't keep them from finding you. And they're, they're, I would, words always fail me. They're, they're love. They're exquisite. They're real. They're deep. They're beautiful. Um, It's, it's just, you find out what your life was supposed to be about.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, thank you. This has been so fabulous talking to you. Just last question is, you know, if you could go back to when you say like, we're just starting this life coaching thing and give mm. yourself some advice, what would you tell yourself?
1: I would say, look at your past. You have never starved for long. You have never been without shelter for long, for whiles, while, but not for long. And you've been cared for exquisitely by the entire world and the the interworking of the world. Don't be afraid if this doesn't happen as fast as you want. That's what I would say. Don't be afraid if this doesn't happen as fast as you want. Nothing will ever happen as fast as I want, but I'm always cared for. And I, you know, I talked about the masters of different times. And one of those masters was Jesus and he He would say to his disciples, why are you so anxious? Look at how, look at the lilies of the field and how they're cloaked in, in, you know, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. And how should God not clothe you when he clothes the grass of the field? And, And other masters have said the same thing. I don't consider myself Christian. I just love the Jesus. But they all say that you're being cared for. It's okay don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid that's what i would say over and over and over until i made myself believe it (laughs) yeah
0: i I have tears in my eyes now that's so so true like that's just yeah that's what i wish i had known i probably still need that message so thank you
1: yeah we all do we all do do. we're human that's how we work
0: Martha, thank you so much for taking this time with us. Tell people where they can find out more about the Integrity Cleanse and and all the good stuff you've got going on.
1: Sure. Um, The Integrity Cleanse is just a twinkle in my eye right now, but it should be coming out in the next year or so. And as for the rest of it, it's just we're all website people these days, aren't we? So if you just go to MarthaBeck.com, you should be able to find... Whatever you're looking for. And if you can't find it there, you can write to info at marthabeck.com. And I have wonderful, lovely tribe people who will who will answer your questions.
0: Yay. And I'll link up my favorite. I've got a couple of favorite books of yours. So I'll link those up in the show notes too so people can. Oh, you're so kind. Oh, so thank you so much, Martha. It's been awesome talking to you.
1: Thank you, Amanda. Thanks so much for everything you do. Keep it going.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Wellpruner Podcast. I hope you were as inspired by that conversation with Martha as I was. Um, I'd love to chat with you about it. You can come over to our Facebook community, which is called The Wellpruner Community on Facebook. Um, and I'd love to chat with you about that. Also, don't forget the Wellpreneur Planner is now released. It's available on Amazon worldwide. So if you're going to be putting together a plan to make 2019 the most incredible year yet for your life and business, I'd love it if you would give the Wellpreneur Planner a try and go through the planning process with us. You can share photos of yourself using the planner and all the things you're going to create with it um, with the hashtag Wellpruner Planner. And so that you can connect with the community and see other people who are planning their years, too. It's going to be awesome. As always, you can get more links to everything we talk about in the show notes, which are available at our website, wellpruneronline.com. So dream big and keep going. And I'll see you back here next week in the next episode of the Wellpruner podcast.